The Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Well, good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and uh, I've got an exciting guest coming up here in a few minutes. I'll introduce him in a second, but I kind of wanted to tell everybody what kind of day I had today. I I was able to finally get an appointment for my COVID shot here in Florida, and uh, uh, it was quite a trip. I I had to go to another county to get get the shot, and uh, it took me three and a half hours and that's with an appointment. So uh, I just thought that was just kind of interesting. But anyway, let me get on to uh, this interview here. Um, you know, one of, one of my pet peeves has been in this industry is moisture. Moisture issues when it comes to concrete, comes to stone, uh, brick, you know, whatever the masonry surface is. And, uh, you know, I, I know I teach this in my class, but I figured, you know what I need to do is I need to get a hold of an old friend of mine from way back. Uh, Mr. Robert Higgins, and I've got him on the line, so let me uh, go ahead and uh, buzz him in here. And I know he's been waiting. Uh, you there, Bob? Yes, I am. All right. Hi, Fred. Well. How are you doing? I'm doing just wonderful. I'm so so glad I got you on the line. So glad, you know, we've had some conversations in the past. I don't I don't know if you remember me from way back when, back when. Uh, oh heck in, yeah! Uh, we San did Diego. the building industry uh, show together many many moons ago. Oh, yes, that's right. God, I, I guess we're aging ourselves, huh? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, well, I think I knew Moses when he wore shorts. Yeah, I think I, uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think I got kicked. I got kicked off a of Noah's boat, I think. I don't know. But oh, OK, <laughs> but Bob, why, why, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself, and a little bit about your background? OK, well, I've been in uh, waterproofing since 1976. And I got uh, deeply involved with um, formulating different um, materials for waterproofing concrete. And <clears throat> since about 1979, I uh, started a company, and we specialized in tackling extremely difficult and sometimes what were considered impossible projects where we would waterproof tunnels from the negative side and, and uh, underground vaults and things of that nature. And we expanded to... Um, where we started doing uh, parking decks and <clears throat> roadways and bridge structures. And so floors, when it got, we got involved with that in the uh, early to mid-'80s, and I could not believe the amount of um, <clears throat> misinformation, particularly in the flooring industry, there was. It was terrible. They were called yeah, hydrostatic pressure on, with an on-grade <laughs> slab. I said, well, that violates the laws of physics. You can't have that. And we're going to talk about that. I want to talk. I want to actually get into that because uh, that's one of the things I run into all the time. Is and and I, I hate it when someone says, "Oh, we got a hydrostatic pressure issue here," and uh, we don't. But before we get into that 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 part of this subject, I want to I want you to discuss. And this is something I run into from inspectors, from people all the time. Is you know we have the controversy of the the dome test, you know the vapor emission test, you know versus the RH meter, and then the moisture meter as well. So. Can you take each one of those and kind of break it down for us? Yeah. And first off, what I want to say is if done correctly, every one of those methods is actually quite accurate. The problem is, is in the marketing, these things have been introduced and marketed in a way that they're not designed to do. Uh, for example, um, a good example would be the RH test. An RH test doesn't actually test the moisture in concrete it tests the moisture in whatever airspace of the concrete isn't present. So right. basically, that is a very important thing to know. And what it was developed for is for brand new concrete with its mixing water. The construction water in concrete, as it leaves, 
it uh, it it uh, you as it leaves, it starts developing uh, what they would call a relative humidity that's to be expected in the concrete. That isn't completely accurate, but uh, be that as it may, they were they thought that they would say, okay, this is going to be really good for measuring the total moisture content of concrete. No, actually it doesn't. In fact, it does not measure moisture in concrete at all. What it does, if there's an, any empty airspace, if it's a pore, if it's a crack, any void, that's what it is measuring. It is not measuring the concrete. Now, on the other hand, we have electrical impedance test, which measures just the moisture. That's all it does in the concrete. It doesn't right. measure what the RH does. And the uh, and the dome test is somewhat of a of a combination of the two, where it will pick up moisture, but it actually draws moisture. It is not a passive test like the RH test is or the electrical impedance. Those do not do anything to change the dynamics of the moisture in the concrete. The uh, dome test does because it's it works with a desiccant, and a desiccant. What it does, it tends to draw moisture, whether it's in a liquid form or in a vapor form. That's the big difference. And that's, that's something I've been arguing with, uh, you know, a, a lot lately as well, especially since now all, all the floor guys are going more to the RH test. And uh, I agree with you 100% now. The, the, why don't we tell the folks a little bit in case they're a little bit uh, green when it comes to uh, you know, the moisture meters and, you know, more particularly, the, you know, you mentioned the electric electropedience test, uh, which is your, uh, I'm assuming, the non-destructive meters versus the pin-type meters that are out there. Yeah, the, the pin-type meters are very good for wood and other materials like that where there's a predictable structure to the and chemistry to the uh, material. Concrete is totally unpredictable. That's one of the things we need to step away from because that's the only material that's basically fabricated 100% in the field. Because as soon as it leaves the shop, it's subject to environmental influences. So uh, there's, there's so little control. And also, even the, even the chemistry within concrete, which has changed dramatically. You know, the, uh, I love it when somebody says, well, concrete's been around for thousands of years. I said, well, a concrete and lots of different types of concrete have been around for thousands of years. But the modern concrete that we deal with really has only been around since the 1950s. And the reason why I say that is because back in the 1950s, that's when they started finding out how the sintering process or they start grinding the cement finer will give you a, a, a better early strength so they didn't have to use as much cement. So it made uh, concrete even more economical. So they started uh, promoting that. But if you could go back in time and take a 30-day-old piece of concrete from 1950 and put it side-by-side side with a 30-day-old piece of concrete uh, fabricated in 2021, the concrete fabricated in 2021 would be 75% more permeable to water vapor than the one in 1950. Makes sense. They are not the same. So the, all the characteristics we learned back then, the concrete is not as durable and it is not as watertight as it once was. And it's becoming less so because they're now uh, no longer offering what's called low alkaline cement. That's not, being, that's not available anymore. Now, would you, that was would done. You, yeah, go ahead. Okay, that was done in uh, the beginning of 2019. Now, would you attribute that to all the the issues we're seeing now with, and I, and I hate to use the word moisture because we're going to get into that a little bit uh, as to, you know, where the moisture is actually coming from. Uh, but, you know, would you, would you say because of this newer concrete and because of the issues we're seeing with this newer concrete is why we're seeing more issues with say, you know, flooring, especially, you know, porous type flooring like stone or uh, some of the, the porous uh, tiles. Yeah, it's, it's got, it's that. And also, uh, what the current problems are are mostly just from dew point and condensation. Uh, there's been this uh, false precept that everybody's taken as fact that the moisture that you're measuring is coming up from the bottom of the concrete. Well, that's not true. Uh, in fact, that's pretty rare. 
Explain that only that. happens in a laboratory because yeah. you've got this concrete that's suspended in the air, and the temperature and the humidity is the same all around, so you can get a nice, even measurement of the concrete. That never happens in the field. And what happens is uh, concrete wants to stay wet. Water is incompressible. So whatever uh, uh, water is in the concrete that's in a liquid form, the, the moisture from underneath can't pass through that. It's got to push that out of the way first. Right. And that's not that's not a dynamic that we see. What we m- normally see is what's being absorbed from the ambient conditions in the room. And uh, that was kind of a uh, that was one of the reasons why I ended up leaving my company back in 2009 because I was at loggerheads with my own company because we were mm-hmm. making uh, basically uh, moisture control products. And I said most of the time we don't need them. I said, well, quit you know, educating people and just sell product. Well, I wouldn't do that, so I, I quit. I said, well, I'm going to go embark on a on a study. I gave myself two years to try to figure out the best way to test for moisture in concrete, and uh, and I've done so. But in the meantime, I've realized that most moisture tests, even though they're done correctly, they're interpreted incorrectly because most people don't understand concrete. So they say, well, this is what our meter does, or this is what our RH probe does, or this is what the calcium chloride does. That's what it does, but that's only if you get the concrete to cooperate. (laughs) What I mean by that is if you have a dome Mm -hmm. test, if you're not down to concrete, you're not measuring concrete. And I see it done incorrectly at minimum Mm -hmm. 90% of the time. Right. I believe it. In fact, I'm being generous when I say that. It's, uh, It's... it's done incorrectly constantly because they don't grind down to where the unadulterated concrete is. And you can tell when they do a pH test. If the pH isn't at least 9, you're down, down to concrete. You've got something either occluding the pores or there's something still covering the concrete that you're not down to expose concrete. So your dome test isn't really measuring the vapor emission. It's blocked. And I, I- yeah, and I, and I see that all the time. And as a matter of fact, the ASTM test for that, you know, clearly states uh, what you're saying, that, you know, you need to get down to the actual concrete. You need to, you know, scarify the, the surface first or, or whatever. And I, I see that all the time with coating, some of the accelerators they use, and, uh, you know, we could, we could go on talking about that. So if you were – if you let's take an example so we can kind of give the folks some guidance as to, you know, what to do. Let, let, let's take an example. Let's say we have – we have a stone floor, which I see a lot of, and we've got an we got an efflorescence problem. Okay, uh, we remove the tile, and what would you? Well, let me back up. What would you do if you saw that particular issue? If I saw an How efflorescence issue, the very first thing I would do is do a pH test, because I'd want to find out if it's an acidic or an alkaline pH. Okay. Because efflorescence is automatically assumed to be alkaline. That's not necessarily true, especially no. over older concrete. Because older concrete, especially if it's a, a warehouse or some other uh, or a garage or something of that nature, or or sidewalk, they don't have they normally don't have a vapor barrier underneath them. So what will right. happen over the years? That's when uh, moisture will come in from the soil, and because the water is freely evaporating from the surface, so what's happening is the water is being pulled out, it's being replaced. Evaporates is being replaced. It happens over a considerable amount of time. And the older the concrete, the scarier that is, because you don't now you don't know what's in there. Right. So exactly, if you're in that kind of a if, if you're in that kind of a situation, the the only thing you can do is do a physical separation, because if the concrete is contaminated with materials from the soil, there's really nothing you can do to fix that. No. You just have to separate it. Right. And that's where and that's where that, that's we're, the bad we're, news for people. Yeah. So all right. So let, let's say let's say you go in, you take a pH reading, and you know, say you get an alkali reading. So you know the soil uh, issue is not 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 an issue right now. You say you're dealing with a a floor with a a non-compromised vapor barrier. And uh, yeah, what would be the next? Wait, step? Wait, now you're now you're talking about at least ninety-five percent of what you're going to run into mm-hmm. is a is an intact slab with a decent vapor barrier. And uh, and you've got moisture. Then uh, what you need to look at is you do your pH test. Now the pH test, all it will tell you is 
that there's something there. So based right. on the pH, one of the things I recommend people do is continue to uh, where I I did this with a with in a uh, project where there was an alkalinity issue and there were some areas of the floor that were being destroyed, other areas that weren't. So what I did is I had the uh, the laboratory do a pH test, but we limited the area. We made uh, I had them make the about a size of a quarter with plumber's putty, and I had them put in a half milliliter of water. Well, when they added the water to it, they tested the pH. The pH was 11. Okay, I said, now add another half milliliter of water. And they kept adding that, and all the areas where the alkaline was uh, damaging the floor, it took 15 times before the pH began to drop. Wow. So that's when you know it's concentrated. See, and that's the part that that's our disconnect with pH and moisture. Right. pH does not mean concentration. All it means is that's the pH of that specific product. It can be 5% or 90% concentrated, but the 5% won't do anything, but the 90% will destroy your floor. Right. So first and foremost, if you see your floor being destroyed, that's what you should do. So I think we need to modify the pH test. However, what's normal, though, what I see that's more than 90% of the time is just simply moisture condensation from the air. Yep. And that's completely – now, you can test for that because um, I I use an electric meter. I use an electrical impedance meter. And Mm -hmm. I use that, and it's based on a uh, 6.9% percentage. And the reason why I like that is the original moisture content of concrete when it's freshly mixed and placed is between 6 and 7%. So when you lose the water, you lose less than half of it. So right at about 4.5%, the concrete's pretty dry. Now let's 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 talk you know we had talked the other day we were you were talking about a a project you had when it comes to moisture and you were talking about uh, if I remember the story correctly, it, it was the freezer story where you had the condensation from the from from the freezer. Why don't we tell the folks that that story? That's kind of interesting. oh yeah. I mean, and that's those are the ones I like the best. I, I'm going to convey uh, three different uh, condensation stories to show you just how uh, common this Perfect. is. Perfect. I went into this uh, project and the epoxy manufacturer. They were frustrated because they could not get this concrete dried right along this wall. It kept they kept getting puddled water every day. So they were checking for leaks and bringing in all these meters and these ground penetrating radar. And they're trying to figure out where the leak was coming from. So I went in there with my uh, electrical impedance meter and an infrared thermometer, as well as uh, uh, my hydrothermograph. A hydrothermograph is really nice to have. So I checked the, the, uh, the uh, relative humidity of the air. It wasn't high. It was actually pretty low. Uh, the concrete temperature away from the wall was right about 72 degrees, but right next to the wall, when I uh, tested it with the infrared, it w- went down to 52 degrees. I said, wow, "Well, big difference." Huh. Yeah. So then I tested the wall that it was against, and it was a poorly insulated uh, freezer. So they said, "Well, how do we fix that?" I said, "Well, what you do is just separate it." I said, "Well, what do we have to do? We have to dig all the way through the concrete?" I said, "No. See, that's where." Some of the, and this will segue into another part of this, but the gradient portion of the concrete only reaches in about a maximum three-quarters of an inch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I rarely, unless the concrete's really, really bad, I haven't seen it go past that. So I had them cut in three-quarters of an inch and a half-inch wide. They put in an insulative caulking material and let it sit, and they put fans on it. What well, dried out in a week. They were able to install the floor, no problem. All they had to do was separate the the gradient portion of the concrete from that uh, cold exposure. Because, but that was surface. Now, if that was down into the concrete, you would have had a different dynamic. But that was something that was sitting on top of the concrete and basically uh, transmitting the, the it was conducting the cold into the concrete. So that's the way we were able to uh, you know put a barrier in between them and. Uh, and the concrete heated up at the same temperature as the rest of it. That's it's so interesting. And this topic, you know, the condensation dew point issue is so overlooked. I mean, 
you know, 99% of the other consultants I deal with on a regular basis, uh, they don't have a clue. Uh, they, they, they overlook that, that factor altogether. So you, you said you had another, another example of that? Yeah, this one, this one to me was the most profound. I got involved with a very high-tech uh, uh, facility, and each one of these rooms, for them to shut down would cost a million dollars a day, and there was 12 of them. And they put a floor down, and the floor failed. It was soupy underneath and everything else. So I went in to uh, do an inspection after this other consultant went in, and I looked at the concrete. I looked at the specs. I said, well, they can't possibly have the moisture levels that you're seeing. I think this is all coming from uh, the condensation in the air. They said, well, no, it's not possible. I said, well, yeah, it, it is, you know, if you have people talking. So we were in a room, there were six of us in the room, and I had the hydrothermograph going. Well, when we walked into the room, it was 52% relative humidity. While we were talking, the relative humidity in the room climbed to 78%. Wow. With just us in the room. Right. I said, now, let me see the adhesive. The adhesive, sure enough, I stuck the hydrothermograph underneath the lid of the adhesive, and it pinned. I said, there's a water-based adhesive. They said, yes. I said, that's where the water's coming from. Now I'll show you what to do. Now let's just recreate what they did, and it's going to fail again. So they did that. It failed exactly the same way. I said, now what we're going to do is we're going to dry the concrete out, and I put the, the impedance down, made sure it was below uh, 4.5%. Once it got below 4.5%, I had them keep the air circulating, but they had to bring in a dehumidifier because there was nowhere for the uh, damp air to exhaust. Because, uh, oh, oh, let me back up a little bit. I need to digress. As they were installing that new floor uh, where they had the same failure, the relative humidity in the room climbed to 90%. Wow. That was during the installation. That is where most of your failures occur. It's during mm-hmm. installation. Yep. If they monitor that and they compensate like what we did, we put the uh, fans on it, blew it dry, got it back down um, at 4.5%, but we kept circulation in the air and dehumidified the room. We kept the relative humidity in the room less than 60%. They put exactly the same product down, and they couldn't get the floor off in the bond test. It was firmly affixed. And they repeated that through all 12 rooms, and not a single failure occurred. That's just, uh, it, it, it's amazing. And I, I actually discovered that on a on a, a building on a wall with a uh, Negro Marquina, a black marble that was just pitting and spalling. It looked it looked just like the issues you would have if you put that material on a on a concrete slab. And of course, you're dealing with a wall, and uh, you know, well, is there piping there? There's no moisture coming through. And I said, let's check the. Uh, this was a commercial building, so they had you know the latest HVAC HVAC system, and you know, we looked at the computer, and sure enough, it was a condensation issue. And yes. uh, you know, so it's it's so, and, and no one could figure that out. No, you know, no one even uh, attempted to try to figure that out. And well, know, that's uh, because they're told the moisture's coming from underneath. Yep, they don't think not. to look for that because they they don't look for it because they're told differently. That's right. the false precept. Now, here another example that I love are basketball games. There, some of the pro basketball games have been uh, canceled or postponed because what will happen is they don't get the temperature down enough in the room. So what will happen? A lot of these uh, these uh, courts are over the top of an ice rink. Right. So the room's too warm. People come in, and with people breathing and respiring, what happens is that condensation gets on the floor, and they can't keep it dry. They keep drying it off. It keeps getting wet. Dry it off. keeps getting wet. They have to cancel. Now, imagine if there's nothing on the floor, and that's just concrete. That would all absorb into the concrete. Right. So when you have workers and water-based products coming into a project, you're adding water to the environment. Concrete is a wonderful moisture sink. It will yep. suck up the water and hold it. So let's say that you, but before everybody comes in, you did your moisture test and everything's qualified. Okay, great. Now everybody comes in and starts working. Well, you've just completely changed the environment. Now it's been stated over and over, and it's very accurate, that moisture testing is only accurate time of testing. Good. Then keep testing. Because it's really, really easy to do. If you have a moisture meter and a hydrothermograph 
and an infrared, you can tell what the, what the conditions are if it's safe to install a floor or not, right before you install a floor and during the installation. Because the, the other example I'm going to give you is this adhesive company hired me to do some consulting. They had 300,000 square feet concrete. It's on three floors. So there was the on-grade second, third floor. And they were told they needed to do moisture mitigation because the moisture levels were high. They said, what confuses us, though, is the third floor has the most moisture. I said, well, it's a non-conditioned space, right? And they said, yeah. I said, well, that's yep. called the stack effect. Well, the, the, the guy who was doing the inspection didn't know anything about the stack effect. So, you know, I was incredulous. I said, well, of course that's going to happen. I said, um, that's not a moisture problem from the concrete it's not the concrete curing slower you just have condens you know it's just pulling in moisture from condensation we right. stick fans on it we should be able to dry it out uh we brought some fans up put it on, on the concrete and it dried out in about two hours so what okay. i had them do is follow the fans keep the air circulation going follow the fans are you sure we don't have to do the mitigation I said no it's it's completely unnecessary because there's no moisture source. This is a suspended slab. There's no moisture source. They were going to spend a million dollars for a mitigation system they didn't need. Wow. And if the mitigation <laughs> system gone down, they said, look at the successful job we did. Well, they didn't do squat. Right. So we put fans on there, had them follow the fans. They installed the floor. That was seven years ago. Not a single issue. Right. So they saved a million dollars plus months in, uh, in delays from not having to put down this expensive and basically useless moisture mitigation system. You know, and you're, you're, you're talking about one of the, one of my many pet peeves when it comes to this issue. But, you know, when I, I see specs out there, you know, especially for commercial projects, there's never, never any requirement for testing, testing the slab uh, before any kind of flooring is installed. I, I don't care what type of flooring you're here. And I, I wish something like this would be, you know, part of, uh, you know, part of the requirements, you know, before any flooring surface covering should be, you know, just go through these tests, but they don't. And the do worst it. part of this, yeah. Fred, if people realize, because I teach this all the time, I go out in the field, it never takes me more than twice in the field to teach somebody how to do it properly. When they find out how easy it is yeah, and simple. how inexpensive it is, actually there's no repeating costs because if you do the test correctly, they're non-invasive and there's no repeating uh, expenses. So basically, it doesn't cost you anything to test. And That's what is, all installers should do. They can have three devices, go out to the field, and they can eliminate basically all of their moisture issues. I worked right. with a Florida company. They had six offices, and they had monthly moisture issues. When I showed them how to do this properly, they have less than one a year. So you're you're putting See, you're basically they're, they're, putting they're so avoidable. Testing. Yeah, it's it, it, it's you know I often say you know actually I just did a class out in Vegas last week and I you know one of the things I said is you know uh, I, I'm preaching all this stuff the same thing you are and I says it's a good thing people aren't listening because would be out of a job as inspectors and I'm kidding of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually the inspectors <laughs> be more important because you have to qualify at first, but then the installer should do. The monitoring. True. So the monitoring is where the where the problems are introduced. You'll right. never run out of work because you've got to qualify it first. Yep, exactly, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about what you you were talking about before. When we were talking about the concrete gradient, and this is an issue I've always had. You know, here in Florida, our slabs are what four to six inches for, you know, a home. But you know, when we when we do a measurement, say say with the uh, uh, the moisture meter are, are we we're not measuring all the way through to the bottom of the slab, are we? No, you're only measuring in about a half inch to maybe three three quarters of an inch, right. and th I'm fine with that because that's your gradient, right? Because the rest of concrete is basically uh, somewhat inert; it doesn't really go through changes. It's very much like the uh, when you have the gradient in your soil, that's what dries out and gets wet, dries out and gets wet. Well, the rest of the soil kind of stays the same underneath that. It's not, it's not very dynamic. It changes right. very, very little. So what affects your floor is at the very surface. So people have emphasized, well, we need to know what's going to go on so we, we can uh, predict what's, what's going to happen with your concrete. That doesn't predict anything. They say, well, look, it, it, the moisture will equalize in the concrete. Well, it's always no. done that. 
Right. It's always done that. It's so what? There's no such thing as humidity causing a failure. If it doesn't turn to water, it doesn't carry anything with it. It doesn't stick to anything. Unless it's a liquid, it doesn't cause a failure. Right. Period. Now, it's water that carries stuff. Now, water very rarely on its own will cause a problem. But here's, here's, the, here's the contradiction here, and this, this is funny. The better your concrete, the more pure water can cause an issue when you first install a floor because it has nowhere to go. It takes much less water to create a layer, a surface layer of water to start, start bonding issues than if you have a crappy piece of concrete. So it's really important yeah, yeah. you keep it dry and you keep fans on it. Fans should be a prerequisite for every single flooring installer in the country. If they put fans on these things, I, I tell you right now, uh, 90% of your problems will go away. Yep. You know, one of the, one of the things that um, constantly hearing, uh, uh, and, and it's just – God, my, my mind is just blown up right now with all the questions uh, the questions that I have and some of some of the issues that we have. So let's see if we can't take these, you know, uh, one by one. Uh, okay. Here, here's something I, I don't think I've ever discussed with you, and, it, and it's a subject that 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 has come up quite often, and it's come up in the shower pans. But this can apply this can apply to anything, and that is, my opinion has slowly been changing over the past four or five years when it comes to applying sealers. To, to, you know, particularly stone surfaces, but obviously concrete and brick and anything that's porous. What, what's your take on that? Um, that's a very, very last resort. Uh, concrete and stone were never created to be covered with anything. Amen. <laughs> Amen. They, they were created to be exactly what they are. Concrete is supposed to be a man-made stone. It's not, but right. it's close. But it was never intended to be coated. So and, when you put a coating down, there's things you have to adjust. And that, that brings up another point. And, and this is really important for your listeners. Make sure when you check the concrete, when it's, a, when it's a concrete for a floor, it conforms to ACI 302. Very specifically that number. Because you'll be told many times on a project, what well, conforms to ACI? And, I, and I'll ask them, well, which one? What do you mean, which one? And somebody say 318. I said, well, now, now we have to make some adjustments because that concrete's not designed to be covered with a floor covering. Right. Well, it's 301. Well, that's not designed for that either. 302 specifically is. If it's not to 302, the manufacturers should also put that in their warranty to make sure it's 302 because they should not be held accountable for concrete that's not designed for flooring installation. And that's another bit of uh, controversy there that needs to go away because, look, know what you're looking for and know what you're asking for. You know, one of the uh, along the, the the reason I bring up the sealer issue and, you know, we've got breathable sealers, we've got coatings or whatever. But, you know, one of the things that I've run into a lot lately, especially is with uh, coated floors or terrazzo epoxy terrazzo floors is this bubbling that 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 we get and i i can't tell you how many projects i've seen where this is an issue and one of the things that totally you know this, this isn't public radio so i can say it, it totally pisses me off is when someone starts throwing the word oh we got hydrostatic pressure i i can remember reading an article you did years ago on the difference between hydrostatic pressure and osmotic pressure and I want you to ex- explain that in detail for the folks because I think this is this is really really critical. Okay, hydrostatic pressure can exist only if you are below the water line. You have to be below the water line because hydrostatic basically means uh, it's water at rest. It's not moving. It's not doing anything. So it's simply the weight of the water. So the hydrostatic pressure, and that's what we used to use for calculations when we were in tunnels. Uh, the deeper you were, you could calculate, uh, we would do a rough calculation of about 0.5, which is a little excessive, but 0.5 pounds per uh, per column foot. So if you were 10 feet below grade, you could figure you could get upwards of 4 uh, PSI of hydrostatic pressure. Well, that's not very much pressure. No. So even so, if you were 10 feet below grade when these uh, flooring manufacturers say, oh, we, we, we don't warn against hydrostatic pressure, and I'll say, why not? 
well, look how much pressure there is. I said, <laughs> you know, if you're 10 feet below the water line, you might get four PSI. I said, now, if you want to blow up a latex balloon, it takes about two PSI. So you mean to tell me you're, uh, you can't take the, uh, <laughs> that kind of pressure? <laughs> right. No, that, no. Now, osmotic pressure is a totally different animal. That's caused by chemical reactions such as ASR, which is alkylisilic reaction. That can right. be in the hundreds, sometimes even thousands of PSI. Yep. I've that can actually move equipment. I've actually busted some of these uh, some of these bubbles with a drill, and actually the water would hit the ceiling. Yeah, but that's just the restrained yeah. pressure, though, and it goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was just it was just restrained. But the thing is, that will not go away because when you cover back up again, it builds back up. Yep. Because that's a continuous, well, it's called a continuously imbibing gel. It means it keeps picking up water. So here's the other thing that cracks me up. This is where um, <laughs> some of these moisture mitigation systems are self-protecting against a problem they're actually might even be causing. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, some epoxy companies will say, well, we don't, we won't warrant if you find uh, sodium or potassium silicate, usually sodium silicate. Uh, in the concrete. Well, if you put down an epoxy, it doesn't breathe, or some other uh, coating like that doesn't breathe, when you get out what's called alkali silica reaction, that forms sodium silicate. So by putting the non-breathing product down, you've actually created your own. So why are they warranting against that? Because they're the ones causing it. Right. Makes sense. Makes all the sense in the world. So how would you, you know, for those guys out there that are, that are running into these issues. Let's let's take you take my my terrazzo, my epoxy terrazzo example. You go in, you know, you're going to recommend removing, you know, the, this uh, this coating uh, on the floor. What what would be your remedy for, you know, reapplying that that floor back, or would you? Uh, yeah, I would uh, I would t- I would test the concrete. You know, make sure that the moisture levels are good. Now, here's the other thing. I I tell people said so do not inherit a concrete problem. If there's a concrete problem, there are ways you can put that in your instructions, your warranties, and everything else to where you don't inherit this. And and the testing for that's pretty easy after the fact if you do have a failure. But right. too many people are taking on the responsibility for something they don't understand. You are only going to warrant against moisture, period. Right. That's all you warrant against. As soon as the moisture is contaminated, all bets are off. Now, if you, because if you dry the concrete out and it doesn't have excess alkalinity or any of the other chemical activity going on, your floor is not going to fail. The biggest right. thing is to remove the excess water and don't be adding water during the installation. You should always be 10 degrees. And also, the, the other thing is you should always be 10 degrees away from dew point if you're dealing with any kind of thing that's water-based. Even if it's not water-based, I prefer that cushion. So the bigger the difference between the air temperature and the concrete temperature, the more likely you are to have a problem. Right. Makes sense. And the perfect example was that story you you told with – well, actually, all three of those stories uh, that you told with the condensation issue. So, you know, extremely, extremely important. So um, yeah, and, and I, I have I have a bunch of stories like that. That so, some of the airplane hangers are are, are great ones because you have in in those they have their own weather. They can actually have what's called uh, a sweating slab syndrome, where so much moisture is collected from the air, it looks like somebody uh, uh, hosed down the concrete, and that just came from the air. And I've actually seen and if you look it up, that's a that. really, really common problem. Look up sweating slab syndrome. It's a really common problem, and it's common to dense concrete. And why is it common to dense concrete? Because the water has nowhere to go. If it's crummy concrete and absorbs a lot of water, you probably won't see it. But then you right. slap your floor on it, guess what? Boom, the floor comes up. Which it's going so to do. So that invaded your concrete <laughs> after the test. Yeah. Right. So what what would you suggest that you you know l- let's say you're an installer which a lot of our listeners are and uh, you're going into a you know a, a new a new concrete floor for example uh, what type of precautions would you you give them well, I mean obviously we talked about them but kind of summarize you know what you would do as an installer 
Um, well, I'd have to get proprietary here because there, um, I, in my studies, uh, one of the things I came across was there was one specific uh, moisture meter that that, uh, that free, came out almost, ident- almost yeah, exactly the same as a gravimetric, which is stunning. That was stunning to me, and that convinced me, okay, this is the way to go. And it, unless the meter can prove in the field that it can uh, be the equal of a gravimetric, I would not use it for this. Right. Do you want to mention that? Ba- you I'm can sorry, mention that, that brand. If, you said you can mention that brand if you want to. I have okay. No well, it's, it it's Tremex. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, it's their, their concrete encounter. Because if you use that, they also have this uh, attachment as a hydrothermograph. The hydrothermograph is a nice fancy name for uh, measuring the temperature and humidity and gives you the dew point. So if you have your dew point there and you have an infrared ther- uh, thermometer that you can point at the concrete, let's say the dew point, of the, uh, let's say the air temperature is 75 degrees and the relative hum- humidity is 60 degrees, but your concrete is 52 degrees. Well, you can't install the floor until you dry the concrete out because it will be right. wet. You can put your meter down, it'll be wet. You're, you're below dew point. As soon as there's, as soon as it's, uh, now if you can't get above dew point, here's the, here's a really important thing to remember, and why air movement is so important. Because I dealt with a, a gentleman by the name of Mickey Lee. He's a, he's one of the foremost experts in the world on, on, on environmental uh, issues and, and drying out uh, structures. He found that when they started adding heat, that the concrete after a point would stop drying. I said, yeah, well that's to be expected. All right. He looked at me and said, why? I said, because what happens, um, it, it's a chemical reaction that goes on, and the, the, the warmer you get it at this point and the drier you get it, the more concentrated that stuff gets and it doesn't want to let go of the water. So the best way to get rid of the water is to put air movement on it because as, as water evaporates from a concrete surface, you get what's called evaporative cooling effect. It actually, it actually resists evaporation unless you drive air across it. And as you keep keep driving air across it, you remove uh, that evaporative cooling effect, which basically scrubs the water out of there, and it removes the water very, very efficiently, so you can dry it out in a hurry. That's why you need fans. It makes sense. And, you know, for those folks, to back up just a a little bit, for those, you know, an example of of a dew point issue, and everybody's seen this, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, first of all, I suggest you Google it, Uh, you know, but... uh, Secondly, you know, it happens on your windows. Uh, you know, windows windows get get moisture on there. That that's what we you know, that's condensation. Uh, that, that's that's what occurs when the temperature outside and the temperature inside is is it reaches that that point of saturation. You get you get to do, and this same thing happens on uh, on these floors. So uh, definitely, uh, you know. Look, oh yeah, and, and another one, Fred. If they yeah. go on a construction site after rain, the areas that are exposed to to wind. They dry out very quickly, but if you go yep. around the corner, there's no wind. You, the water sits and it sits and it sits. Yep. Even yeah, when it gets heated, even when the sun's on it. You need that evaporative cooling, and the movement yes. is going to. You have that do evaporative it. cooling effect. It it's it inhibits the evaporation. Yeah. Now there's you know there's uh, I, I better not get into that part because it gets a little more complicated, <laughs> but. Um, but that's the basic issue because if you can drive the water out of there, because as soon as you put the newer adhesives they have today and the products they have today, if that concrete's dry enough for the adhesive to take effect and grip, it's not going to let go. Because one of the other things right. I did, I took these adhesives that are they're touted by the, some of these uh, consultants as being moisture sensitive. No, they're not. I've taken these adhesives, fully cured, stick them in a bucket, and I've left them in the bucket for over a year and nothing's happened. I get that, you know, kind of kind of a funny side story to this is, is I get this all the time with floods that occur on on you know floors that use standard you know thin set you know mortar based mortar based adhesives and people say oh I've got a I've got a bonding problem this flood caused the tiles to come up and you know bond and I I start laughing and they go what are you laughing at I said you don't understand how concrete cures 
you know, yeah. concrete concrete will cure underwater, <laughs> you know, and they, they, yeah. they just it lo- they, loves they being wet. It, that's yeah. the way it wants to stay. And they just don't get it, you know, and uh, I get them all the time from insurance claims that I get, you know, my floor is you know, amongst a, a myriad of other problems. But, uh, you know, that that seems to be the one. My floor is hollow. My floor is debonded because my water heater leaked or my sink overflowed. And I said, nope, it was like that from the get go. <laughs> Yes, it's it's incredible. It's yeah, and see, and people understand how. See, and that's the role of a lot of these schools and everything else. They want to keep it confusing because confusion keeps people busy. Right. But I'm sorry, these claims. If moisture testing was so accurate, why is the problem getting worse? I've been reading uh, these things online, and apparently. This has gone from a one billion dollar a year problem up to two point four billion. That's wow. ridiculous. Yeah, it shouldn't crazy. even be a hundred million dollar problem in the entire United States. Right. That's how much we can cut this back if people start implementing what we're talking about right now during their installation. These problems will basically go away. I guarantee anybody that does that will see a, a base a bare minimum reduction of claims of ninety percent. Bare minimum. And, and right and now, just, everybody's holding their breath, wondering what's going to happen. Well, you don't have to hold your breath because there's nothing mysterious about it. And I tell people, I said, treat treat water like a two year old; it gets into everything. Yep. It's 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 a universal solvent. I mean, it's uh, it's yes. our friend and it's our it's our enemy at the same time, you know. And yeah, the, you know, the things we talked about here today is is also important too. Is people don't understand. They don't understand the, the gaseous phase of, of, of water, which is the vapor, and uh, they don't understand how that works. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a major issue I've been following in, our, in the stone portion of the industry with using what we call impregnating sealers, which are vapor permeable. And people will apply them in a steam shower, for example, expecting vapor not to – well, they, they expect water not to enter the stone. And I said, yeah, water won't enter the stone. It'll keep water out, but guess what? It's not going to keep vapor out because they're vapor permeable. And when that vapor yes. gets in there, it can condense. It becomes a liquid, and then you may have a problem. <laughs> you know, yeah, because what they, happens – yeah. here's, here's where your impregnators are dangerous. It's, it's moved the evaporation point below the surface so you can get subfluorescence. Yep. That's really common to brick because I've, I've been involved with historical restoration of brick, and that happens all the time when they put a uh, water repellent on brick. It starts spalling off when you have, you know, chunks of brick coming off instead of just the annoying surface efflorescence. Yes. Just move the efflorescence in, so now you have what's called subfluorescence. And, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, impregnator manufacturers, and I won't mention names because there's hundreds of them out there, uh, I think they have my photograph on their dartboard. <laughs> because this, this is just, I mean, it's, you know, I, I go in and I look at these situations and I'm like, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to get off on this, this topic because I've discussed this before on this show. But, I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's like using an impregnating sealer on an exterior surface. I'm totally against for many yes. of the reasons we're talking about here. And I'm sure you agree with me. And uh, yes. they're, they're, push, they're pushing it like no tomorrow. You know, oh, you got to seal that's it. A very, you that's the very last yeah. step you take. Yep. That's, that's a last resort. Yep. Exactly. You don't do that first. You do that last. Because if moisture is coming from somewhere else, it's going to make the problem worse. Right. You know, especially if you're in an environment like we are here in Florida, you know, when you have, yes. you know, high humidity levels, you're never going to get it dry. I mean, you're always going to have, you know, a high humidity level there. And it's, uh, it's, 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 a, you know, I, I could go off all day long on that issue because I see it constantly. And like I said, the, the sealer manufacturers, oh, no, you can seal it. You can use our product. It's vapor permeable. It'll breathe. And when you start bringing up what we're talking about, they look at you like a deer in the headlights. You know, they don't know what the hell you're talking about. And, then you know, you yeah. try to educate yes. them, which, you know, which is what we're trying to do here with uh, with your input, which is excellent, uh, you know, the, uh, I think. Uh, let me give the phone number out here, Bob, in case anybody's listening uh, live. I mean, it is a live show, but this does go into a podcast later on, so we might not have a lot of live okay. listeners. But if anybody has a question for Bob, it's 323-870-3968-323-870-3968. If not, you can send an email my way, and if I can't answer it, I'm sure I can give Bob a holler, and he'll answer it for me. Uh, so uh, go ahead and do that. All right, anything else you want to discuss about this issue? 
before we wrap things no, up. No, no, it's it that because that really is the crux of the issue. What yep. what they've done is they've taken simple simple uh, concepts and made it complex, and they've taken the complex and made it simple. They make concrete look like it's simple. It's not. It's very right. complex. Yes. But the thing is, the thing about water is, if you give it somewhere to go, it will take it. Right. We, uh, that's what we learn with waterproofing. You, if you pitch it downhill, it'll go there. Yep. That's why you put in French drains. You get water away from your building. You know, the, I've had people say, well, there's a swell that goes down. I said, well, you're st- is, doesn't it cause hydrostatic pressure? I said, nope. nope. So unless the water is sitting directly against the structure, there is no hydrostatic pressure. And it's the depth of water that creates the pressure. Not how much there is, it's the depth. That's something I, I preach constantly. And, uh, you know, uh, again, you've got to, you really got to educate the your clients and installers out there because you, you get this question constantly. And I, I just hate the fact that, you know, that they, I mean, and, and you actually, thank you. You you turned me on to that 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was you, you had, had discussed that article uh, back when you had your company. I think you wrote that article. And uh, uh, I'd yeah, love to get a hold of that. Yeah, that was back in 1980. Yeah. So, wow. yes, quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah, now, God, now I'm feeling really old. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I've been, been in this industry as long as you have, and it's like I, I sit back and I, I remember walking, not, not to get off the topic, but I remember walking through a trade show 30, 40 years ago with a friend of mine, and we were looking at some of these older guys, you know, and he pointed to me and he said, you know, Fred, he goes, we're going to be those guys someday. And I, I talked with him the other day and I said, you know what? I says, I think we are, we're getting to be those guys. <laughs> we're getting to be those guys with <laughs> 40 plus years experience, you know, and it's like, it's just, uh, it, 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 it's funny. It's really funny. Well, Bob, I, I, I thank you for, for this interview. This is some great, great, great information. And uh, uh, I can't thank you enough and uh, maybe have you back on the show again to discuss some of these, some of these other issues as well. Unfortunately, we don't have a, have a lot of time. Yeah. And, uh, welcome, well, thank welcome you, Fred. To, I appreciate to, this. No problem. And welcome to Florida, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah. it's, it's been a really good move for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a great and, state. Uh, I, I, well, I've been loving it here. I've been here for 40, 42 years now. Uh, so it's like, uh, it's, it's, I consider myself a native, although I wasn't born here, but, but I've been yeah. here. Long yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was born in California, but it, that does not, um, it's not the same state I was born in. No, it's changed a lot. And we could do a whole show on that issue. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it, I, I tell people, I said, well, look at the, uh, listen to the old, uh, song. I am, I said by, uh, Neil Diamond. Oh yeah. It says, you know, look at, you know, <laughs> L.A. is fine most of the time. Rents are low. Really? It's funny. I was, That's I, I, dated. I was, yeah, I was at, speaking of L.A., I was out in Vegas doing a seminar, as I had mentioned, and I had a I had a drive over to L.A. to look at a, an exterior stone issue. And, uh, oh, my God, it's just. I brought my wife with me and I said, let's get in there. Let's do the inspection and get the hell out. And that's what we did. We drove from Vegas yeah. to LA, did the inspection and turned around and came right back. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, no, no, yep. offense, no offense to my friends that live in LA, but uh, it, it has changed. Yeah. Uh, no, no doubt. Yes, about a it. lot. Not anyway. Well, thank you, sir. Right. And, uh, well, you know, well, thank uh, we'll you for, to, for having me, Fred. And I'm looking forward to anything else you want to cover. Oh, absolutely. And uh, one of these days I'll get up your way. I get up there during bike week and uh, like Toberfest, uh, maybe stop by and have lunch or something. That sounds great. All righty, Bob. Take care, buddy. buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty, folks. There you have it. Uh, You know, that was to me a wealth of information. And uh, uh, it's just, you know, I hope you guys that especially are doing not only installation out there, but also restoration work. I mean, you need to be aware of these issues. You need to be aware what the difference is between hydrostatic and osmotic pressure. You need to be aware of how concrete cures and, you know, educate yourself. Uh, You know, whether you attend my seminar or not, you know, go on Google and and self-educate yourself. Just, you know, get out there and, and really understand what you're, what you're dealing with, because if you do, you're going to save yourself a lot of headaches later on down, down the future and avoid people like Bob and I to, you know, get into a litigation situation where you know, we can pretty much, if there's an issue, we'll, we'll pretty much nail, uh, you know, 
nail it uh, with, without a problem with, with our, our experience. So anyway, all right, I'm going to take a quick break, folks. When I come back, I have a couple of really interesting announcements to make. So uh, hang in there, and we'll be back right after this. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains. Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Toughskin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with their proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Toughskin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, MB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. Alrighty, folks, and we're back. And just a couple of announcements I wanted to make, and that is uh, there is a new program out there. It's in what we call an e-learning program. Of, uh, you know, this is something you do do online. And uh, this is a company that I'm uh, actually a technical consultant with, and that is a, a company called Surfaces. And uh, they've just put together uh, – actually, I, I put it together, and they, they kind of put it all into a package, which is a uh, what we call an online training uh, seminar on stain removal. And uh, we're, we have an app that, that's available. Uh, the mobile app is a subscription, but if you take the e-learning course, uh, we'll give you one-year subscription for the mobile app. So if you want information on that, uh, you can go to my website, which is drfredsinnovativesolutions.com. That's drfredsinnovativesolutions.com. Also, you heard me mention uh, that I just completed a, a stone tile uh, inspection on troubleshooting seminar out in Vegas. I am going to offer another one uh, this uh, this year in July in Florida, just outside of Orlando, in a town called DeBerry, Florida, which is just north of Orlando. Uh, again, that that's a class that we, we we take very little people in. So if you want to get involved with that, uh, go to my website stoneforensics.com and check out the training tab and. Uh, we can uh, get you signed up and uh, get you to, I mean, and, and this is only, not, not only if you want to be an inspector, but also if you're in the restoration industry, uh, this, you know, you're a tile setter, uh, you know, a fabricator, there's just a bunch of information that, uh, that we have for that. And maybe I can coax Bob into coming in and being a guest lecturer and coming in and giving a short presentation on what we just talked about. That would be great. Uh, so anyway, folks, uh, in the meantime, if you have any questions, uh, if you have anybody that wants to be interviewed on the show, uh, send me an email at Houston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. We've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up uh, uh, this year. I've got a lot of interviews lined up, uh, that, that being one, of, one, one that we just had there. So uh, uh, please send me some feedback. Send me some feedback on uh, whether you enjoy these, these podcasts or, or this live show as well. Uh, again, F Houston, F H U E S T O N at gmail.com. Well, I'm going to sign off for now, folks, and we'll talk to everybody next week. And thanks for listening. Until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Are you tired of lugging dozens of stain removal chemicals around to remove stains from stone, tile, or concrete? Did you know you only need three chemicals to remove almost any stain? From organic stains to inorganic stains, Dr. Fred's Ultimate Stain Removal Kit is all you need. The kit contains three reagents and includes a detailed ebook on how to remove almost any stain. So if you're trying to remove difficult ink or rust or simply coffee and other food stains, this kit is all you need. To order, contact Dr. Fred at 321-514-6845. One kit is $69.95 plus shipping.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.